Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland. And I'm Sandra Smith. And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is. let your type precede your person. And that happens more often than we want to name. to explore another myth, Chris. Yes, it is, Sandra. Here we are again in our season four of Myths and Questions. Recording from Asheville on a beautiful day. And the myth today that we want to discuss is how often we put people of the same type as the same person. Yes. We think that all fours will behave the same. That's right. So even though the motivation of all fours, the primary motivation is the same, their behavior is not going to be the same. No. And we we reduce people to just specific characteristics of type when we do that, and it's not fair to them, and it's a misuse of the Enneagram. It is. It's often, I know at workshops, and I know you get this too, people will want to put their type on their name tag. Mm-hmm. And I will say, please don't, because you are so much more than this Enneagram type. You are you. That's right. In fact, that's often why we talk about I lead with type that's four right. as opposed to I am type four, because it is my primary lead, but I am so much more than that. And where we get into trouble, Sandra, it seems to me, is when we start asking the question, well, I need somebody who's organized, so I'm going to hire a one in that job. Right. Or I want to be in a relationship with somebody who's compassionate, so I'm going to be in a relationship with this type or that type, that we get into so much trouble when we do that. I think when we do that, Sandra, we end up diminishing people and we end up trying to do this you know the i've heard you say this before the enneagram is not predictive it's not that's not what this is about it's descriptive it's descriptive uh about our preferences Mm -hmm. as a human being and we just have to hold open to mystery because even though i know you lead with four chris and i know the type four preferences i do not know what you will say or do next that's right to be open to the mystery and the surprise of you yeah so i can't i can't let your type precede your person beautiful beautiful and that happens more often than we want to name it's true and in fact as we're learning this system we begin thinking oh this person in my life leads with this type and therefore we're trying to be predictive about what they're going to say or what they're going to do and that's it's not fair to them Mm -hmm. it doesn't allow them to be as you say in the mystery of who they are in the moment given the circumstances and context and relationships what might emerge i'm working with a team right now where they're hiring someone they have a type three leaving who's been there for years and she's been great Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the type ones on the, the interview team said, should we be looking for a three? Yeah. And, of course, that's not right use of the Enneagram. It's not a system to use to hire or fire because you could hire another type three, and she or he would be a totally different person than yep. the one they have now. That's right. That also gets to, to Sandra, sort of the the, um, the ability of self-awareness, because whether someone leads with one type, their self-awareness, the, the work that they're doing, 
to not live just habitually in those patterns. All that matters. So just because they're a three doesn't have any bearing on exactly how they're going to show up in their job. It's true. So again, the Enneagram is not predictive and it's not about behavior. That's right. So it's the core of who we are mm -hmm. and how it's manifested as behavior is different um, from one type one person of the same type to the next. That's why panels, we've said this before, are so important. We can see how they differ yep. and I, how the processing is the same. Absolutely. And I know you've experienced this, and I certainly have too, where people come up to you and say, oh, you lead with eight, and then they project onto you all these things about what you must be or who you are as an eight. Right. And I think that I, I find that kind of irritating. I don't know about you. but <laughs> Well, yeah. And, you know, that takes me back to our first episode with Allison, mm -hmm. who... Her question was, gosh, you know, I say I lead with type 8, and people are saying, yeah, but you're not da-da-da-da-da-da. Right. Uh, it's frustrating. Yeah. And so can we see the human rather than placing a type on the person? Yeah. So the key point here is that behavior is not the same among all people of the same type, and it's not predictable. You know, and it might be helpful to look at some specific types, Sandra, to, to illustrate that a bit. Well, you know... It happens often with three types, I've noticed, in mm -hmm. the workshops um, that I've been doing throughout the years. And I would say that types one and four and eight tend to be, tend to get some negative energy. Yes. So somebody might say, oh, I know my mother was one. She was so critical. Right. Or... There's or, an or the angry father or mother. Oh, right. had to be an eight. That's right. Or that person is so dramatic or so moody. Must have been a four. Yes. And then we'll use those types to slough off onto mm -hmm. some characteristics about ourselves that we don't like. So, you know, I've often heard a type nine say, boy, I went to my eight wing and got angry. Mm -hmm. Well, no, you found the anger in yourself as a nine, and that's a healthy thing for you to do. But you don't have to give the eight your anger because it's misplaced. Right. That's right. And I hear people say all the time that, well, I'm being, I'm, I lead with seven, but I'm being kind of four today because I'm feeling dramatic. And I'm like, you know, that's not right. <laughs> You know, it's again, it's sort of we're stereotyping in ways and putting these sort of negative characteristics on these types and then saying, well, I'm acting out of that type because mm -hmm. of some sort of behavior that's coming out of me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, a friend of mine just said, I'm going to, I'm going to, who was a four, she said, I'm going to be like a nine in this workshop. You just won't even know I'm there. <laughs> and it's fun because she knows enough about it to kind of sure. be playful with it. Um, and she knows that her processing and inner life will still be four. She's just going to be a quiet four, sure. but she can, she can put that off on nine, right. which is simply her being a, a present and aware four. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes we don't claim the good stuff in us. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's often when I teach, I, I have, I actually say for ones, fours and eights, I have a great deal of compassion. I'm always kind of put that out there because there is a way in which people put a great deal of negativity on those three types. And I always want to talk about, can we have some compassion? Can we understand where some of this is coming from and have compassion for that? Well, and when I teach, Chris, I'm always saying on, on panels, the opposite is always true. That's what truth is. It's paradoxical. So I'm always asking an eight panel about their tender hearts mm -hmm. to bring another dimension of this style forward. Yep. Or for one... One is such a diplomat. Right. And, you know, they are the most accepting type when they are 
when they're there and that's right. with for, a non-judging and, presence. Right. Yeah. And for four, it's like, how are you, when are you most grounded? How are you most even? That's right. You know, when does that show up? Because we do show up in mm-hmm. amazing ways like that. Oh, I've had so many experiences of fours holding a steady, yes. calm space. Absolutely. Yeah. So this stereotyping is, is, as you said, Chris, reductionistic. And it isn't helpful and it hurts. Mm-hmm. So maybe some we could offer um, some guidelines about how to be careful about doing this sort of uh, stereotyping. Yeah, you know, just simply, if I am a nine and I feel my anger, just claim that as mine. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. if I'm feeling critical as an eight, I'm just being critical. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not putting it off on type one. Right. Can I be aware enough to know that this is a part of me? Yeah. It's a part of me too. Yeah, that's good. And I think also being curious with those we are, have in our lives. So instead of saying, oh, I'm experiencing this from you, you must be, be being a big old one right now is what I would hear people say. It's just to be curious about that. Mm-hmm. Sort of, I'm noticing this is coming up for me. Um, can I check that out with you? I mean, I think this... That can't be said enough about not assuming what the other is experiencing or expressing and beginning asking questions about that with just a really open mind, you know, that curiosity. It's like, here's what I'm experiencing. Let me let me check in with you about that. You know, I so believe that curiosity is the gateway to compassion. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly, as we get curious and then come forward, as you just named, and ask some questions, then we aren't... Um, building up resentment around assumptions or projections or internal stories about the other that aren't even real. Yeah, well said, well mm. said, because we can easily do that. All of us, yes. yes. So it comes back to our our mantra uh, of curious mind, open heart, grounded body, grounded presence. I mean, if the more we can come back to that, the more we can pr- approach each one, each person, with, I, I love, you know, for the for the eight, we call that innocence, but for all of us, we have some version of that, but just kind of a real openness mm-hmm. to just meet the other where they are. Without any preconceived notion. Yep. yep. Um, you don't have to brace if you know you're going to be meeting with an eight. Yeah. Um, That's good. Yeah. That's good. We don't have to brace if we're meeting with a one or a four. Mm -hmm. It's that negative critique of those three types, and we hear it a lot. Yeah. So curiosity, compassion, courage, all of the things that we talk about, but certainly none of this happens without a grounded presence. Absolutely. So first step is cultivate presence. Yeah, and and we can do that as we've named before. Breath can do that. Mm-hmm. Being moving in our bodies can do that. Mm-hmm. There are many ways we can do that work, and that's so critical. Yeah. So Chris, we've talked about ones, fours, and eights, and how they often carry the burden of others' negative emotions or energies. Yeah. But let's talk about the other types and how they're often pigeonholed or um, misunderstood, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah. So an example, if we start with two, for example, uh, you know, twos often get stereotyped as uh, wanting to meet everybody's needs, for example. And that's not true. And sort of something we have to continue to remind folks is, Part of it is they're looking to meet the needs of significant others, like somebody who's important to them, important others. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And, uh, and also, it's, we often can say that twos don't know what they need, and that also isn't true, mm-hmm. uh, because twos can know what, really well what they need. They may have a hard time asking for it. Right. And often people feel that twos give to get, yep. and we find them to be really the genuine givers. Yes. When they get to that place of knowing their own self-worth, mm-hmm. you, you, they just are such gracious givers. It talks. It, it refers back to our guest Mary Beth, who talked about clean giving, right? Yes. Just giving, just to give. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, what do you think about Type Three? How are they often misunderstood? Well, I think sometimes we can think of threes as not as non-feeling, even though they're in the heart type, uh, or you know, they're a heart type and in the heart triad. You know, they're so focused on doing, and we can kind of say, well, they they step on people, and they are they're not genuine or authentic because they're putting on masks and being committed millions in whatever context they find themselves. And you know, the truth of the matter is they can be some of the most authentic people on the Enneagram when they're aware and when they're conscious and mindful. Do you know, when we do panels workshops, I find that threes on panels are very honest. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful and usually try to lead with the type three panel because they are so honest. Yeah. Moving around, we can look at the five. Yeah, let's look at five. They often are identified as kind of uh, overly uh, private or stingy even. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, people who don't initiate or... Aloof even. A, yes, mm-hmm. aloof and don't give. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, internally, that's not how they feel about themselves. That's right. And both of us, we know some very generous fives. Absolutely. Yeah. I think too about, you know, fives having a rich emotional life because externally people see them as only in their head, sort of reserved, and they really don't feel at all. And the truth of the matter is they feel a great deal. Now, they may feel a lot on their own, and part of their work, and as they grow, they begin to offer more of that in a public way and with, with others. But it, they are definitely, a, they have a, a deep access to feelings. Mm-hmm, certainly. And then type six, um, often they can be seen as having negative energy because mm-hmm. of all of the questions and the what if. Right. And I am so grateful to this type for those what ifs because what that does is bring about p- a positive outcome. Mm. Yeah, that's well said. They help us see consequences of action so that we can bring about positive outcome. So I've never thought of sixes as negative, actually, Mm -hmm. but that gets placed on them some. It's true. And we put a lot of fear on sixes as Mm. well. Of course, we all have fear, but we tend to stereotype sixes and think that all they're doing comes out of a place of fear. And, you know, we've talked about this before. One of the great gifts of a six, even though there's this planning and wanting certainty and all of that, is that when something, a crisis comes... They are the most steady, the most clear, the most present in the midst of that uncertainty. Truly. And so tr- just remembering that is, is so important. We find sixes quite trustworthy in those moments. Absolutely. Yeah. And then we have seven. So, you know, for sevens, uh, we can tend to think of them as uncommitted and flighty and, you know, going from one thing to the next, be- next because they don't want to be trapped. And one of the interesting things I think about is um, for sevens is we tend to think that they have a hard time staying in something for a long time. It's also true that sevens can stay in places, be very committed to work or to relationships. Uh, and that is part of who they are as well. It is. 
And Chris, you and I were just talking about this earlier today, but sevens have a pretty good inner critic. Mm -hmm. And most people don't realize that. It doesn't show. But in our conversations, one-on-one conversations with sevens, that really comes out. It does. It's that internal voice that says, you know, you should have known that. You should have been there by now. That's right. And, and it just keeps them running. And we tend to think of sevens as just positive and, you know, sunny day and all that. And internally, there is this strong critic happening as well. And can we have compassion for that? Yes. Yeah. And so we've talked about eight. And how about nine? Sometimes we have the stereotype of nines being lazy, like, you know, they, their their energy is, is all held back. Um, and sometimes we talk about it as lazy not doing. But the reality, of course, and we try to correct this, is that laziness or that slothness has a lot to do with discovery of self. Who, what's important to me? Who am I? And that's, that's something we always want to counter, mm-hmm. that myth, misunderstanding. Yeah, this isn't a couch potato. It's simply a laziness toward the self that comes across in self-forgetting. It's a forgetful type. It is. And the other piece is that we've talked about this too, is that when nines are clear, they are clear. Mm -hmm. I mean, I say this and, you know, nines are like, I don't know. I can see both sides. It's hard to make decisions. But when clarity comes and often that's through body, right? When clarity comes, they are just, there is a certainty and a clarity and a moving forward. And it's a beautiful thing to see in nines. It is. If you've ever received an email from a nine, you know how clear um, they can be. Yeah. When they get alone, they come back to themselves. They're not merging with another. And in that writing, I mean, I've gotten several emails from nines, and it's just amazingly clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is so important that we remind ourselves, Sandra, you and I, and we remind all of our listeners that, you know, we can't stereotype people based on type because we are complex human beings. And we approach life based on different contexts and different relationships and different people. And so we show up in all kinds of different ways. And, and I just want us to remember that so that we don't get stuck kind of just thinking all sevens are like this, all twos express this way. Because, you know, one day you'll come upon an introverted seven who will surprise you. That's right. Or an extroverted five. And that plays into it as well. That's exactly right. Yeah. Can we be open to surprise? And right there is the receptive heart. Yes. And if we're grounded and receptive, anything is possible and anything can happen. Mm. So, Sandra, with heartfelt gratitude, I'm Chris. And I'm Sandra. And we invite you to continue to take a courageous and loving look at what is. We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University School of Divinity for their financial and institutional support. For Sally Ann Morris, who composed our theme music, and for Toby Becker, who provided graphic design. Thanks to Eric Merle for his editing expertise, to Tom and Lynn Berner, who provided recording space, and to the narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders. And special thanks to all of our guests. We offer this podcast as a free resource for personal and spiritual growth. And in order to continue this work, we need your support. Please visit our website, heartoftheenneagram.com, to make a contribution and to purchase our companion book. In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.